Hey everyone, it's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for up to half the cost. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up and call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Savings based on cost of Consumer Cellular single line 1, 5, and 10 gig data plans with unlimited talk and text compared to lowest cost single line postpaid unlimited talk text and data plans offered by T-Mobile and Verizon January 2024. Dallas. Thank you so much. It is lovely to be here at the Majestic Theater. <laughs> Houdini once performed on this very stage, which means I could very well be the second Jew to perform here who later dies of acute overconfidence. <laughs> I'm going to ask Julian Castro to punch me in the stomach. I think I can take it. <laughs> I also would like to tell you what I believe is Dallas's best-kept secret, being cooler than Houston. <laughs> that is so easy. That is so easy. <laughs> Obviously, I am kidding, Houston. I love Dallas and Houston equally, and slightly less than Austin. <laughs> I am a gay Californian with a Starbucks glued to one hand and a New Yorker magazine glued to the other. I recycle both before I ride a bird scooter. Isn't the coolest city the city I like least when you think about it? I am three. Wouldn't it be funny if I got Botox jokes away from getting Botox? Someone shouts, don't do it. When I do it, you'll never know. Because the ones that do it well, you never know. Someone just shouted, I'll do it for you. I'm a surgeon. I want to tell you something. I don't want to tell you how to do your job. But shouting, I'll do surgery on you from a crowd is the least appetizing thing I could hear from a potential future surgeon. <laughs> Let me do medicine on you. <laughs> Here's the thing. In a country where the same restaurants are everywhere, the same coffee shops, same Edison bulbs and faux industrial finishes are everywhere, when authenticity is mass-produced and then shipped around and commodified until we get bored of it so they make something new to make us feel at home, it's not about what city you like the most. It's about who gets to decide what one version of a city we all have to fucking live in. <laughs> and here's the thing. Right now, I feel like it's me. <laughs> The point is, Dallas, you're terrific. All right. I just needed a pander to end the monologue because it kind of went, went dead on me at the end. We have, <laughs> we have got a fantastic show for you tonight. Texas's own Secretary Julian Castro is here. Presidential candidate. He will face the queen for a day gauntlet. But before that, let me bring out our awesome panel. She's a community organizer with DSA North Texas, an immigrants' rights advocate, and she led a successful campaign to bring earned paid sick time to Dallas workers. Please welcome Christian Hernandez. Hi, Christian. Hi, how are you? I'm good, how are you? Oh, you know, just enjoying this. I brought my phone, so you're going to be on my Instagram story. <laughs> nice. I'm Instagram ready, so. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. So can you tell us a little bit about what you did to have, achieve that victory in Dallas? I uh, didn't sleep very much. Okay. <laughs> That's what it takes. Um, you know, we had a big coalition of a bunch of really awesome organizations um, that kind of came together and said, you know what, workers in Dallas deserve earned paid sick time because 
I don't know if you know of the restaurants that you went to, if those workers had paid sick time or if they were sneezing in your food. Um, Thank you for being here. <laughs> Our next panelist, he's a civil rights attorney, former professional football player, and the current U.S. representative from Texas's 32nd Congressional District. Please welcome Colin Allred. Got some fans. Congressman, thank you for being here. Thanks for having me, John. Look at that. Welcome to Dallas, John. It's good to be here. She's a comedian and Emmy-nominated writer for her work on Barry, the second season of which is airing now on HBO. Please welcome back Emily Heller. Hi. Hi, John. Hi, Emily. I love following hometown heroes in a town that doesn't know who I am. There's, I feel no pressure. <laughs> you treat Emily like she's a hometown hero. Thank you. I feel like I have a very strong California accent here. <laughs> All right. Let's get into it. What a week. It's May. The first Democratic debates start next month. 2019 is almost half over, which means we are not that far from the Iowa caucus, where we will finally learn which Democratic candidate we will be choosing to almost defeat Donald Trump in 2020. You don't like it, neither do I. In the last couple of weeks, Joe Biden jumped into the race, and we discovered that he is far and away the biggest fish in the sea, but he's also a fish with terrible YouTube clips with quotes like, gosh darn it, darling, let's cut Medicaid, so who knows what's going to happen. <laughs> I was also very clear that Joe Biden was the last candidate allowed to enter, but it seems several people have decided to disregard my instruction to their peril. Senator Michael Bennett from Colorado, Mayor Bill de Blasio from the Park Slope YMCA, and Congressman Jeff... <laughs> and Congressman Jeff Richmond from Illinois has jumped in. If you're unfamiliar with Richmond, he's best known uh, for a hot mic moment where he called climate change, quote, California's problem, and the fact that I made him up just now, but there are so many candidates, you weren't sure. That's not right. That's not right, John. <laughs> Felt real, though, didn't it? No, it did not feel real. I was like, <laughs> talking about <laughs> Christian, I want to start with you. Uh, how are you feeling as an activist about the race right now? How are you feeling about this growing stable of candidates? Uh, overwhelmed. I think much like other people. Um, I was a big Bernie person in 2016. Uh, yeah. <laughs> feeling the burn. Um, and I think, I mean, for me, as a millennial, most people are like, oh, they don't really care about policy, uh, which is completely untrue. I think more than anybody, I think we care about policy and like the impending doom of climate change. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> a shout of your pants are fire from the crowd. I'll let you know when you've chimed in enough. <laughs> and it is soon. Congressman. Uh, so Nancy Pelosi spoke to the New York Times recently. She described her fears about Trump not accepting electoral defeat and the importance of a decisive victory. Uh, the Times described her views as follows. Do not get dragged into a protracted impeachment bid that will ultimately get crushed in the Republican-controlled Senate, and do not risk alienating the moderate voters who flocked to the party in 2018 by drifting too far to the left. This was the quote uh, from Speaker Pelosi. Own the center-left, own the mainstream. Our passions were for healthcare, bigger paychecks, cleaner government, a simple message. We did not engage in some of the other exuberances that exist in our party. Do you think she's right? Well, first of all, I'm, I'm glad that we have two great Texans running for president. Uh, my friend Julian Castro and Beto O'Rourke. Uh, for, as a, you know, a long-suffering Texas Democrat, I can tell you there's some years we might not have thought we'd have two uh, great candidates uh, running for president, and I'm, I'm really happy that they are. Listen, we flipped a long-held Republican seat here in Dallas. Um, and... You know, we, we talked about health care. We talked about uh, education. You know, I didn't shy away from my background as a civil rights attorney, wanting to make sure everybody could vote. That's now a partisan issue. It shouldn't be. Um, so I think that we should... <laughs> I think in the end, uh, we have to lead with our values. And, and that's where we're going to end up, I think, being in the safest position, whether you're talking about the presidential race or in the House or whatever it might be. We have to follow our values. People are inspired by that. Uh, and I think as long as you are yourself and you're not trying to you know, pull test and find your way through something, uh, that you can, you can land on what I think the people actually want us to do. 
Nancy Pelosi is clearly saying that she views some of the debates we're having about the Green New Deal, Medicare for All. I mean, she's describing them as exuberances. Um, and yet, you know, that's been a big part of the debate on the presidential side. On the House side, we've had some candidates who've advocated for that. We've had some candidates from more conservative districts that have tried to be more moderate to strike a sort of a more centrist tone. Um, do you believe that she is suggesting that, that the presidential candidates ought to learn that lesson, that in order to win in some of the more moderate districts, we've had to go in a more moderate direction? I don't know. I think that, that Speaker Pelosi is focused on what people talk about when they are sitting down at their kitchen table at night, which generally speaking uh, falls into a few basic buckets. You know, what are we going to do if grandma gets sick? How are we going to send our kid to a good school, to a good college? Are they going to be able to afford to do that? Are they going to be able to have a good job when they get out? Are they going to be treated uh, equally to, no matter what they look like, or where they come from, or who they love, or who they pray to? Uh, those are the things that I think what Speaker Pelosi is worried that we don't talk about enough. We can talk about all of our big goals and all the big things we want to do, but we have to make sure we ground it in the everyday experiences of Americans and what they're dealing with. Because uh, in my experience running for this office and, and in my experience growing up and being raised here by a single mother, I can tell you there are some things that are more pressing, uh, which is, you know, what are we going to do tomorrow and the day after that? And so that doesn't mean that you can't have big goals, uh, but you have to stay focused on the things that really matter. And I think that's what Speaker Pelosi is kind of getting at. Christian, what do you make of that? Um, well, I think it's just interesting to, to classify that as something that doesn't affect people because it's climate change. Everybody here lives on Earth for most part, you know, uh, pretty grounded, right? <laughs> and healthcare, like everybody is alive and so they need healthcare. <laughs> um, and I think that that's something that I really want the Democratic Party to focus on is the fact that these are universal policies that are really pressing because we have people, you know, doing GoFundMes and doing just like, you know, there's always the inspirational Facebook post that's like, this 12-year-old sold like his kidney to pay for his parents something or other. And I mean, you know, but it's those types of stories you all click on. And, and they sold their something other to get him a kidney. Right. So it's like, it's then no evil, one has a kidney. Yeah. Right. What evil version of that one with the comb. <laughs> Should I stop buying kidneys I don't need online? <laughs> I'm starting to feel like I'm part of the problem. You had just won them back. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Emily. You're right to turn to me now. In the last century, only 14% of presidential incumbents have lost re-election. Yeah. Like, oh, <laughs> boo, boo facts that make us worried about the future. <laughs> what do you think we should do to maximize our chances of defeating Donald Trump? Wouldn't it be amazing if I knew the answer to that question? <laughs> I do think that, like, it's scary to think about the fact that, like, not a lot of incumbents have lost elections, but I think that, like, the last election, if it taught us one thing, it's that looking at the past for the answers on how to deal with Trump is not actually that helpful. <laughs> um, like, there are a lot of smart people who predicted things that didn't happen and a lot of dumb people who predicted the thing that did happen and then acted like they were geniuses. And I, for one, would like to get in on that. So uh, instead of answering that question, I would like to just go on record making a bunch of predictions right now, and then whatever happens, just pull the soundbite of the one I was right about, and then everyone will think I'm a genius. Can we do that? Yep. I think Donald Trump is going to be narrowly reelected. I think, I think Donald Trump is going to be soundly defeated. I know for a fact that Donald Trump is going to die in a jet ski accident two weeks before the election. See, that's a long odds, but if that happens... Oh, it's pretty insane. I'll be the next president. You'll have to just say, like, how did she know? What else does she know? Thank you for being here, Congressman. Uh, <laughs> So one of the places that this conversation has turned is around electability. Um, 
a term that seems to have no real meaning except to maybe confirm our biases about what we think a president should look like, should sound like, and yet it draws a lot of our focus. Also, Democrats really want to win, and they want to pick a candidate that they believe will put up the best fight against Trump. When we talk about electability, what, do you, what does it mean to you? Well, I, I always tell people that 2018 was the most important election of our lifetime, uh, and it was. And thanks to so many people, so many folks who are in this room, we turned out and, and we you know, flipped 40 seats in the House, and we did a lot of important things. 2020 is now definitely the most important election <laughs> of our lifetime. Um, and, and I think you can make an argument uh, going back a few hundred years there as well, uh, how important this election is. Uh, and so I understand the debate around let's find a candidate who is guaranteed to win. We can't take any risks. Uh, I, I get that. Uh, I will say that across the country uh, in the primaries of 2018, candidates emerged who there were questions about whether or not they'd be able to win in the fall. And a lot of us won by large margins and did things that weren't expected. Uh, and that in politics, as was being mentioned earlier, the past is not a great guide. You know, we're moving into the future. Uh, every day we are getting more diverse. Every day we, our views are changing and becoming uh, you know, more modern, more up-to-date with where the country is going. If we are able to reach those voters and turn out those voters, then I'm not sure we have a great barometer from looking to the past about what that nominee would look like. Uh, and so it's a problem when you say only certain things are going to be electable. Because certainly, as an African-American, <laughs> uh, before Barack Obama, that might not have ever included an African-American running for president. And we, and we saw that that's certainly not true. So, uh, so I, you know, we should have a spirited debate. Uh, we should have a spirited primary. Uh, but I don't think people should make their choice based on what they think uh, could win. They should be, make their choice based on who they think is reflecting of their values and where they want to take the country. Let's leave it there. When we come back, okay, stop. Hey, don't go anywhere. There's more of Love It or Leave It coming up. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Is there something I need to get off my chest? What is your outlet for working through the things that stress you out? Oh, man. You know, I don't know. Pushing it down. <laughs> Pushing it all the way down. Getting it real down deep in there. Squish it. Squishing it. Squishing it real tight. Fighting through it. <laughs> Gotta fight through it. Skinny jeans are for dads. Fight it. You fight it. You push it down. We all carry around different stressors, big and small. <laughs> when we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Not me. Not me. I'm running on rails. <laughs> Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. Uh, I said to my therapist just yesterday, I just feel like I don't have the, the, the attention span right now to focus on some of these longer term issues. And she's mm. like, you found a way to say that every session for the past five years. <laughs> If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Everybody needs therapy. You need therapy. I need therapy. Tommy needs therapy. Mm -hmm. We all need therapy. Mm -hmm. Visit BetterHelp.com slash love it today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash love it. And we're back! Now it's time for a game called OK Stop. We'll roll a clip and the panel can say OK Stop at any point to comment. This month, Facebook finally got around to banning right-wing white nationalists and conspiracy theorists like Alex Jones, Paul Joseph Watson, and Milo Rhinoceros. This goes a long way to protecting people like the parents of Sandy Hook victims that are constantly badgered by these sociopaths and their followers. But Tucker Carlson, who is basically now just InfoWars that has been facetuned, uh, not fans, doesn't think this is a good thing. Let's take a look. We're very focused on making sure that our recommendations and discovery surfaces um, aren't highlighting groups where people are repeatedly sharing misinformation or harmful content. And we're working hard uh, to completely remove groups if, if they exist primarily to, to violate our policies or, um, or, or do things that are dangerous. Who knew fascism could be so chirpy? Groups that do things okay, that stop. are dangerous. What? <laughs> chirpy? Chirpy. I just want to be clear about what we're talking about, which is a private company called Facebook 
listening to their users, their customers, well, advertisers or customers were their product, but the uh, listening to their product, uh, <laughs> weird economy, uh, <laughs> listening to their talking, suffering products, who <laughs> were telling them, hey, you sell us and we hate this. Can you please stop having lunatics, conspiracy theorists, and liars on your platform who hound and attack people all day, including parents who lost their children. And they decided to finally, now, in 2019, three years after, they played a very important role in the rise of global white nationalism to take them off the platform. And Tucker Carlson is very upset. What exactly does that mean? Dangerous, like, hurting other people? Okay, or dangerous stop. at... <laughs> yes, like... <laughs> I don't know why there's, I, I think, I, I can't really watch Fox, this is like the only Fox News I'll watch for like years, um, but this is violence even just making me watch this, um, but they're constantly just like gaslighting you and like, dangerous? What does that mean? Like, danger? Like, they're constantly just questioning words that we already know. <laughs> and saying things that Mark Zuckerberg doesn't like or considers bad for business. Well, yesterday we found out Facebook released its latest enemies list. Alex Jones, Milo Yiannopoulos, Paul Joseph Watson, Louis Farrakhan, Laura Loomer, all of them were designated dangerous individuals and banned from Facebook and from its subsidiary Instagram. Let that penetrate for just one moment. Think about it just for a second. Mark Zuckerberg is not simply censoring opinions. He's prescribing which political opinions you're allowed okay, to stop. have. I feel like someone needs to explain the First Amendment to Tucker Carlson the way we have to explain Facebook to our parents. Like, how is he just as wrong about that? It's like, no, no, you, you typed what you were searching into your status update. No, censorship is when the government does it. It's not censorship when you kick white nationalists off Facebook. Also the claim that white nationalists are bad for Facebook's business, they're not. <laughs> they know that they make more money when people get super into crazy ideas on Facebook. That's why it took them so long to kick them off. And by the way, when they finally did kick them off, they messed it up pretty badly because they didn't kick them off immediately. They first announced that they were going to and then they were still on there which is effectively the same as John telling me I'm banned from Love It or Leave It after tonight's episode. <laughs> because if he had done that, I know what I would be talking about on this episode. <laughs> and that's what they did. They all basically had the opportunity to tell all of their fans where to find them after this. It totally... It's insane. Tucker should have been thrilled with how that went. Well, it's also one of the things we've heard, I think, from Twitter. There was a story that looked at Twitter's internal deliberations about how to manage hate on their platform. And what they said is they have this problem, which is it's hard to off-platform white nationalists without catching some Republicans in the net. Like, it's like dolphin-free tuna. Like, Wait a minute. Why would... <laughs> like, there's, they, they really didn't know how to build a net that wouldn't catch a bunch of fucking bottlenose Republicans with the racist white nationalist tunas. <laughs> and then all of a sudden you got, you got Flipper on the decks of your ship, and he's like, eh, eh, eh. <laughs> I'm in Congress. This is, I'm supposed to be allowed, even though I'm also crazy. <laughs> Thank you for being here, Congressman. <laughs> but this speaks to the problem that Twitter was identifying, which is the second Facebook decided to get rid of some of the most despicable voices in human conversation, all of a sudden these guys were like, how can they do that? They're getting rid of voices. They're censoring conservatives. It's been liberals for a very long time who've been saying, hey, conservatives, there's a racist fringe that's part of your movement. And you're like, you think we're all racist. You say terrible things about us. We're not racist. We just support policies that culminate in systemic racism for generations. And then the second we try to say, hey, hold on a second, let's cut off the worst elements of the far right, these supposedly acceptable conservatives throw the biggest fucking fit in the world. Interesting. Keep in mind that nobody voted for Mark Zuckerberg. He's 34 years old. 
He's completely cut off from reality. Okay, stop. He's worth okay, 70. Stop. Okay, stop. First of all, do you, do you remember when Mark Zuckerberg was going to run for president? Do you, do you remember that like period there? He still could. He still, still might. might. He still might. It's, it's not he's, too late. He's going to pull up. It goes de Blasio, Michael Bennett, Mike Gravel, and then Zuckerberg. We're talking about <laughs> kind of a movement that has said that private companies and corporations should have the ability to do whatever they want, be unregulated, uh, and have no government interaction with what they're doing. But now they're mad about a private company <laughs> doing whatever they want, having no government regulation on them, and cutting off what they're saying they're doing. So, you know, to me, the hypocrisy, John, it's the hypocrisy. No, it's, it's the hypocrisy for sure. Can we talk about the hypocrisy of Tucker Carlson accusing someone else of being cut off from reality also? Yeah. He's saying this from a windowless glowing room. <laughs> yeah. And yet he can single-handedly make our First Amendment irrelevant after 250 years. Okay, stop. I want them. Okay, stop. Okay, stop. <laughs> Just to go back to the point that was made earlier, the First Amendment applies to the government censuring your actions and your words, not to private companies. Let's just have a basic civics lesson here uh, about what the First Amendment means. Uh, and, you know, the First Amendment protects Tucker Carlson's right to uh, spew some of this nonsense. So there you go. It's currently frozen in a... His face is... You can't see this at home because it's a podcast, but his face is sort of looking like... What if one of the Easter Island statues walked in on... The Easter Island statue he was in love with, kissing another Easter Island statue. If that makes sense. Shut down! I want them silenced! I want them muted! But don't worry. These people aren't terrifying or anything. So the question is, who exactly is defending us in all of this? Us who might dissent from Mark Zuckerberg's view or think that NBC News maybe doesn't tell the whole truth all the time. Or don't trust Mark Zuckerberg to control what we think. What about us? Who's standing up for us? Where are our leaders in Congress? Where's the okay, White stop. House? This is you. This is it. You're it. You're us. You're, you have millions of people. You're standing up for them. You have a voice. You're on Fox News every fucking night. One of the reasons Fox News is metastasized is because of fucking Facebook. The incredible reach of people like Tucker Carlson is one of the greatest and most powerful and awful forces in all of American politics, if not global politics. You're powerful. You reach people. You're fine. You're speaking right now. Empowered by one of the wealthiest families on planet Earth and one of the most important and powerful media institutions on planet Earth. And yet, every night, he goes to these people <laughs> who watch his show to feel this sense of grievance, to feel this sense of attack before they get in their golf carts and drive to dinner at 5 fucking 30. And that's okay, stop. When we come back, we'll be joined by Secretary Castro. Don't go anywhere. This is Love It or Leave It, and there's more on the way. The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories. But your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. And we're back. He was the youngest member of President Obama's cabinet, serving as the Secretary of Housing and Urban Development, the former mayor of San Antonio, and he's a candidate for President of the United States of America. Please welcome Julian Castro. Thank you so much. Bienvenido a Texas. Welcome to Texas. It's great to be here. All right, let's get into it. Secretary Castro, there is a debate taking place right now, in part spurred by Vice President Biden, about the place Donald Trump holds in the Republican Party. He's described Trump as an aberration, and he said, based on his experience in Washington, that this is not the Republican Party. And yet Trump has sky-high approval ratings, he has co-opted the Republicans in Congress. He has a media apparatus at his disposal. Are you a, uh, an aberration man or are you a culmination man? <laughs> what a way to put it, John. Um, yeah, I mean, the guy has 91% approval rating with Republicans. 
So he is the mainstream of Republicanism today. Donald Trump represents the Republican Party. And I think that's part of the reason that you saw people like Pete Sessions get defeated by Colin Allred last November is because it's the same thing, you know? I mean, they vote with him 99% of the time. Uh, they don't speak up when he breaks the law and flouts all kinds of norms. And so, yeah, I mean, he owns the Republican Party. That's his Republican Party. So do you think it's naive to say that Donald Trump doesn't represent the Republican Party? Or is it smart to try to signal to maybe some disaffected Republicans that they should be with the Democrats? What do you think? Well, look, I mean, there's no question in this Dallas-Fort Worth area is a good example of this, that there are people who used to vote Republican more consistently that changed their mind and voted for the Democrat, whether it was Colin or out in the Houston area with Lizzie Fletcher, who's another great example of somebody that just got elected in the 7th Congressional District and beat John Culberson. So I get, you know, I don't disagree with the sentiment that there are people out there that would maybe even still sometimes call themselves a Republican or think of themselves more as a Republican, but they're beginning to vote Democratic. Um, but to say that he's not the Republican Party, I mean, he is the Republican Party. He owns the Republican Party right now. Yeah. Uh, I want to ask you about immigration. You know, you've released the most detailed progressive plan on immigration to reform ICE, provide a pathway to citizenship for undocumented people here now, including dreamers. But a lot of the intra-democratic debate between the left and the center-left is focused on climate and health care. And it feels like there's not the same amount of fire on the part of some people offering litmus tests around immigration. Do you think that's a blind spot? Why do you think the immigration debate hasn't ignited the same intensity during this primary No, so because far? I think too many people are afraid of it. What they believe is basically that this guy is going to be able to stoke up enough fear and paranoia and division and win a narrow electoral college victory by appealing to certain people in certain states. And so a lot of people would rather just say, hey, you know what, you know, uh, yeah, I believe in, a, uh, in comprehensive immigration reform and we're going to make sure that dreamers have a path to citizenship, but they haven't really dug in and offered alternative vision. And what I wanted to do and what I have done with my People First Immigration Plan is say, this is a different vision of how we're going to treat people. We're going to ask you to choose compassion instead of cruelty, right? We just have a totally different way of looking at it. So I think a lot of the immigration debate tends to focus on what's broken, right? The emergency of Trump's cruelty, also uh, people seeking asylum, overwhelming the system, the undocumented people currently here because of the brokenness for so long. But we don't often talk about the system we want, right? The positive vision for immigration. So let's say we're in some hypothetical world where we have a Democratic president, a Democratic Congress, a Democratic House, Cersei has been defeated, the dragons are fine, Ghost the direwolf is fine, nobody we love dies. That's the hypothetical. We have built a rational, more humane system. In that system, what are the goals for legal immigration, and what happens to people who do in that better, more just version of an immigration system come here illegally? Yeah, so uh, first of all, at least to the first part of what you said. At 12.01 p.m. on January 20th, 2021, we're going to have a Democratic president, a Democratic Senate, and a Democratic House. And so the lesson on immigration reform from 2009-2010 was that this time we can't wait. And what does that look like? Well, for me, it looks like, uh, number one, no more family detention that we're not gonna treat people like criminals, right? You know that until 2004, basically, if somebody crossed the border, it would be treated like a civil violation instead of a criminal one. A lot of the problems that we're having right now, the backlog that we have, the fact that you have this separating children from their mothers, um, this family detention, a lot of that has stemmed from the fact that we've criminalized it post 9-11. I think we actually should go back in the other direction and invest in something like an independent immigration judiciary so that we can reduce the backlog in a big way and give people an answer, you know? I mean, if they've made a claim for asylum, they should get an answer. Are they getting asylum or not? If they're undocumented here and they haven't committed a serious crime, then they should be put on a pathway to citizenship. Um, we also... We also, like, people will say, and I understand the sentiment, people will often say, well, hey, why are you talking about undocumented immigrants? You know, my, my uncle or my cousin or a relative of mine, they're, they're trying to get in the legal way. And I say, these two things are not mutually exclusive. We have to improve the legal immigration system, too, so that people can apply and get an answer and become citizens that way. 
And then the final thing to me, if we're sitting in that time period where we have an opportunity to do something big on this, is that we need the equivalent of a 21st century Marshall Plan for Central America so that people can find safety and opportunity in, you know, like Guatemala or Honduras or El Salvador. Because, you know, others have pointed this out. Like, why would a mom, why would a mom of a six-month-old infant come on a journey of thousands of miles that's dangerous for her and for her infant unless she's desperate because it's dangerous, right? We need to make sure that we partner with these countries so that people can find safety and opportunity there instead of having to come and knock on the door of the United States. And what is the, what to you is the, the case, what is the argument to Americans who have been watching this debate unfold, seen nothing happen for many years, who view the system as being broken for the value of legal immigration, right? What is the case that you would make to them about how once the system is improved, why more legal immigration would make America a better place? Well, <laughs> you know, I mean, it's politically incorrect in some ways to say this, but I mean, the fact is that we need a lot of these immigrants. We need them in this country. <laughs> and let me just sketch out very quickly what I mean by that. Our birth rate is declining in the United States. Baby boomers are turning 65 at a record number and drawing down on Social Security, right? Our, our workforce is aging. We see countries around the world like Japan that have been grappling for some time with an aging workforce, right? If you're going to have a stable Social Security trust fund for all of those baby boomers, it means that you need a young, vibrant workforce. We have an unemployment rate right now of 3.6%. We have industries like the construction industry, the agriculture industry, the hospitality industry, other industries that already rely on this labor. So if we don't get our shit together on this, then 20 or 30 years from now, we're going to be begging immigrants to come into the United States to provide that young, vibrant workforce that we need to do things like keep the Social Security Trust Fund stable and serving all of the people that it needs to serve. And there are a lot of people that don't like to hear that, but that's the truth. You know, that is the truth. So we're in Texas. We have a big Senate race here in 2020. Your brother, Congressman Joaquin Castro, has declined to run, but there's going to be a great candidate in this race. The Cornyn campaign put out this statement. Despite Representative Castro saying he was all but certain to run, Chuck Schumer and D.C. Democrats had other ideas. Shame on Chuck Schumer and D.C. Democrats for forcing a high-profile Hispanic leader out of the race. My question, has anyone ever in human history been more full of shit than John Cornyn? That is a very good question, a very good question. Yeah, I mean, you know what, the other day I saw that he was, I think he was standing in this press gaggle for, you know, requesting money for the National Latino Museum in Washington, D.C., and I thought, what an irony. You have a guy here who has basically been sucking up now for two years to Donald Trump that has been the worst when it comes to immigrants in the Latino community, and then he pretends like he cares in the first place, he doesn't. That guy needs to go. I'm sure that a Democrat can beat him in 2020. And I know we're going to have good candidates with MJ Hagar and maybe Amanda Edwards, maybe other folks. All right, well, it's, they love MJ. Thank you so much for being here. It's time for a segment we call Queen for a Day. <laughs> Grover Norquist, a conservative activist and the bastard son of Ayn Rand and the guy on the Pringles can, has long asked Republican candidates for office to sign his pledge committing them to his core values. No new taxes, no elimination of tax deductions, and no allowing your kids to play soccer because it's gay. And because I consider myself the Grover Norquist of people who like Zelda, I wanted to start my own pledge. During this primary, we're going to pin presidential candidates down on the issues that matter to me most. Julian Castro has graciously agreed to be the third candidate to face the gauntlet. Are you ready, Mr. Secretary? <laughs> I will timidly say that I'm ready, John. <laughs> On day one, do you pledge to eliminate daylight savings and never let the American people see dark before 5 p.m. again? Eliminate daylight savings so that it would get darker. 
No, no, no. We would no, no, daylight no. savings time would just become time. Ah, we okay. live in the in the glory of the summer hours forever. And I will let you know that summer Andrew Yang for- sat right there, and he he did not hesitate. You know, I will not do that because I actually like for it to get dark earlier. I like for it to get dark earlier. <laughs> you know what? You all, you all say you want politicians who don't tell you what you want to hear. And then That's they right. do it, and you boo. <laughs> and you boo it. You see, this is why we all tell you what you want to hear. <laughs> all right? Yeah, no, I like it. Growing up, I used to like it when it would get darker earlier. Yeah. It's more fun in the dark. Yeah, you're winning the vampire caucus. Uh, should it be a felony for someone to say, we're pregnant in a relationship where only one person is pregnant? I would say that for like, you know, 98% of guys, yes, it should be. Okay. Does President Castro think J.K. Rowling has the constitutional authority to say Dumbledore was gay, even though there was literally no evidence he was gay in the text? (laughs) Why not? Why not? Okay, okay, all right. (laughs) Do you think you should have to apply for a license to openly carry a jewel or other vape? No. Okay. Will you pardon all of us for the five years we didn't like Anne Hathaway for no reason whatsoever? I.e., will we finally decriminalize Anne Hathaway? uh, They still show The Devil Wears Prada like a million times on cable. Was that before she fell out of favor? I think it was. I will say, though, follow-up surprise question. Aren't the values of the film The Devil Wears Prada insane? It's a story... (laughs) The story of a woman who quits her job because her boyfriend wanted to make her sandwiches. <laughs> 2006 or whenever it was. Yeah. What can you say? You it's know? a long time ago. You have the option to replace Columbus Day with anyone you'd like. Who would it be? A good question. Replace Columbus Day. No. <laughs> There's a suggestion for Beyonce. Who? They're shouting my They're own name. They're saying John They're, Lovett. John Lovett, Lovett Day. Great, thanks a go. lot. The correct answer is Ghost the Direwolf from Game of Thrones. Follow, follow, follow up. If the president does get to decide who ends up on the Iron Throne, who would you pick? And please know, this will be a 100% very revealing answer that tells us exactly the kind of president you would be. My brother. I choose my brother. You choose your brother. Oh, the correct answer is Tyrion, because he's short, he's charming, he's funny, and he's wrong a lot. All right. Should we be able to tar and feather any white American over 30 caught using the phrase, this song slaps, or this song is a bop? (laughs) Why limit it to over 30? (laughs) Okay. (laughs) All right. The current president has abused his office and undermined the independence of the Department of Justice. Do you pledge to restore the independence of the Department of Justice except for frog marching in shackles the people responsible for go-go in-flight Wi-Fi? <laughs> oh, yeah, I do. That go-go sucks. It sucks. sucks. It never works. This shit never works. <laughs> and last, Secretary Castro, you have the final say. Is Tex-Mex better than regular old Mexican food? It is, it is, yes. Tex-Mex is better than regular Mexican food. It is, it is. Guys, give it up for Secretary Julian Castro. Thank you you so much for being here. Thank you so much. That was great. When we come back, we're going to play a game about Texas. Hey, don't go anywhere. There's more of Love It or Leave It coming up. Whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley. The new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body-conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best. The collection also features cool-to-the-touch covers and motion absorption to help minimize sleep disruptions from partners, pets, or kids. Shop the all-new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. And we're back! Texas, which is home, according to many Texans, to the real America, the America that believes in freedom, liberty, and a federal government that stays out of the way of our God-given right to go bankrupt from minor surgery. (laughs) 
But there's one problem with Texas calling itself the real America. Texas hasn't been America for that long. In fact, Connecticut has been America far longer than Texas. So has, and I know this hurts to hear, Boston. Maybe Tom Brady is the real America. Maybe that's how real Americans kiss their sons. To the day I die, I will never stop talking about how fucking weird that was. And to highlight just how recently Texas joined the United States, we thought we'd play a game called More American Than Texas. Would someone out there like to play the game? Hi, what's your name? I'm Caleb. Hey, Caleb. Where are you from? Uh, Denton, Texas. Nice. What do you do? I'm actually just uh, studying right now. I'm a political science major. Why'd you say actually? I have no time to work. Okay. <laughs> this is a lightning round game. I will list some items, and you will have to tell us which has existed in America longer, Texas or what I describe. Are you ready? Caleb. Fire yeah. hydrants. Uh, fire hydrants. They're just older. They, older. <laughs> Batteries. Older. Yes. L. Fanning. Younger? Yep. Legalized marijuana. Younger. No, it's older. It was grown in a bunch of early American settlements. Baseball. Older. Correct. Football. Older. Younger. Gloria Swanson's portrayal of Norma Desmond in Sunset Boulevard. <laughs> Younger. Trick question, it's Gloria Swanson's portrayal because it's timeless. I also would have accepted Betty Davis and All About Eve, which makes no sense. Legal abortion. Younger. Older. It's been around way before Texas. Tea bags. Older. Younger. The phrase, bless your heart. <laughs> Younger. Probably older. The electric car. <laughs> Younger. Older. The electric car was invented in 1832. Ten-gallon hats. Older. Younger. Barbecue. Older. Yes, it's been a big, it's, it's cooking, it's heating meat on fire, you know. <laughs> and finally, Jewish people in America. Older. Yeah, we've been here from the jump. <laughs> Caleb, you've won the game. And a parachute gift card. Thank you for playing. When we come back... The Rant Wheel. Don't go anywhere. This is Love It or Leave It, and there's more on the way. Whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley. The new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body-conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best. The collection also features cool-to-the-touch covers and motion absorption to help minimize sleep disruptions from partners, pets, or kids. Shop the all-new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley, in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. And we're back! Now it's time for the rant wheel. You know how it works. We spin the wheel and we rant about whatever topic on which it lands. This week on the wheel, we have voting in Texas elections. We have people blaming non-voters. We have Jack Dorsey's EMF sauna. We have Angelica Houston's interview with Vulture. Liz Cheney, Detective Pikachu, Marvel's de-aging technology, and GoGo in-flight Wi-Fi. <laughs> Let's spin it. It has landed on... Blaming non-voters, suggested by Christian. Suggested by me, yeah. Um, especially because we had local elections in Dallas today. They're... Yeah, the results are uh, slowly trickling in. But I think that um, there's a lot of, especially in Texas, we like to refer to Texas not as a red state, but a non-voting state. Um, and it's really easy just to say, like, oh, those non-voters, they didn't, you know, vote for the way that we wanted, and that's why we're all fucked over. Um, but I think that it, it speaks to just, like, 
changing your approach in organizing we have this thing called you never blame your base and so I think that's something that's really important is um, I think they make these like GOTV stuff that's like oh voting is sexy and voting doesn't have to be sexy like they're really obsessed with making everything sexy and it's it, it's not voting's not sexy at all um, but I think being able to really tie in like hey if you're pissed about your sidewalks if you're pissed about gerrymandering a redlining like every single issue is tied back to policy which it does go back to voting and being able to demystify policy for people in a really approachable and non-condescending way, I think, is how you get people to go out and vote. All right. Let's spin it again. It has landed on Jack Dorsey's EMF sauna, Guys, you'll never believe who suggested this one. <laughs> it, was, it was Congressman Allred. <laughs> no, it was Emily. Take it away. Okay, so there is a profile of Twitter CEO Jack Dorsey basically calling him the male Gwyneth Paltrow because he started doing all this, like, Howard Hughes eccentric billionaire shit He's, like, fasting. He's taking ketone supplements. He's doing cryotherapy, freezing his body. And then he built himself a sauna. I mean, someone else built it, obviously. Uh, a sauna that apparently protects him from electromagnetic fields. A thing that scientists have said is not dangerous in any way. <laughs> and also not something you can really protect yourself from. He said that when he comes out of them, he feels energized. And I just want to put out there that maybe the reason he feels energized is because he didn't spend that time on Twitter. <laughs> this is a man who has become obsessed with purifying his own body a thing that none of us will ever be able to do. I don't care how much you fast, there is poop in your body. There will always be poop in your body. You will never be clean. But Jack Dorsey could purify Twitter. There are Nazis he could kick off of Twitter. And I don't know why he doesn't find that just as satisfying as locking himself in a make-believe Narnia chamber. <laughs> but I want him to take it up. Let's spin it again. It has landed on voting in Texas elections, suggested by Congressman Allred. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, we, we did have a, a mayor's race here in Dallas. and In the last mayor's race, we had 6% voter turnout, John. 6%? 6%, John. That's terrible. Yeah. And um, I got to tell you, that's not good enough. No. And so while we don't want to go around blaming people for not voting, uh, we have to get out there and vote. This is the most important election of our lifetime coming up here in 2020. And, and let me tell you something. Uh, you know, before seeking this office, I was a voting rights attorney. Uh, I did voter registration. I dealt with uh, you know, litigation against states that were trying to discriminate against people and trying to prevent them from voting. I recognize the hurdles that are in our way. Uh, here in Texas, if you want to register your neighbor to vote, you have to go get deputized by your uh, county. That deputization will only last for two years, John, uh, and you have to redo it. And when you register your neighbor, you have five days to turn in their voter registration form where you face criminal penalties. If you make it through that hoop, John, um, and you are able to get registered to vote, you will need to have a voter ID when you go to the polling place. Now, the courts have struck down part of that law, so you can sign a little legally binding affidavit saying you don't have a voter ID. For a lot of people, that's very scary. Uh, so that I have worked with people who are trying to get a their ID. It begins with going to the uh, Health and Human Services Department and getting them a birth certificate. Some folks don't have a birth certificate. It's about $20 to get one. Uh, I consider that to be a poll tax uh, to be able to vote. And 
And if you get through all those hoops, Sean, uh, then you have to find time in your day uh, during a certain set of hours to vote in which we have not made Election Day a national holiday, which it should be. Uh, and so I get it. I get it. As part of H.R. 1, uh, the most progressive pro-democracy and anti-corruption bill that's ever passed United States House of Representatives that I was happy to be a co-sponsor of. We do make Election Day a national holiday. We do mandate uh, some of these things. We do try to end partisan gerrymandering, all these things that will make it easier for people to vote. But that being said, we have to get out there and vote like our hair is on fire. I'm bald, uh, but we have to do it because we know and President Obama says this, you wouldn't let your grandparents pick your clothes or the music you're going to listen to or really anything about your daily life. You shouldn't let them pick your politicians and where the country's going to be going either. And so, listen, and I love our older folks who are voting, but we have to make sure that our younger folks are voting as well because this is, uh, this is such a critical time. And I think that the real America has got to stand up in 2020. And we have to stand up and say, this is not who we are. We have to reject what's been going on in this country. It's been a dark, dark period, but it will get much worse, as we all know, if we don't have a change of course. And I tell you, I believe in this country. I was raised here by a single mother. My, I'm not supposed to be on this stage as a United States congressman, but I am uh, because of what's great about this country. Uh, and I can tell you that all of that, so many fundamental things, throw out the party labels, so many fundamental things that we have fought for and believed in for so long. And one of my colleagues is John Lewis, who bled on a bridge so that we could have the right to vote. There are people who have died for this right. There are people who have lost their lives in pursuit of this. There are people who went their entire lives unable to exercise this right. We have it. There are some hurdles. We can help you get over it, but we have to make sure we do that and we do it together in 2020 is the time to do it. Get out there and vote. Let's spin it again. Can't add to that, but it can have it land on a much less important topic. <laughs> and sure enough, it has landed on Angelica Houston. Obviously, the stakes of this rant are 10% lower than stakes of the rant that came before, but I, so this is a sad rant because we love Angelica Houston. We do. She's tough and she's cool. She's Morticia. She gave a delightful candid interview to Vulture and then she gets to Roman Polanski and Woody Allen and it's absolutely <laughs> off the rails. <sighs> she said on Roman Polanski, my opinion is he's paid his price. Which is the actual opposite of what happened because the reason he's not allowed back in the U.S. is because he literally ran from paying his price. He served 42 days in jail when a judge considered putting him back in because he raped a 13-year-old girl. He ran. So he never paid his price. I looked up what Angelica Houston said at the time. Now, the thing that's interesting about this is Angelica Houston was actually at the house when Roman Polanski committed this crime. It is mentioned in the Vulture piece, but I think it's worth highlighting that she was there and she was interviewed. And in 2009, when a petition went around about Polanski, around the time that he was arrested again, uh, people pulled up the quotes she gave at the time and she said, she appeared to be one of those kind of little chicks between, could be any age up to 25. She did not look like a 13-year-old scared little thing. This is also uh, from uh, that 2009 petition that a lot of people who have since apologized and a lot of people who haven't apologized signed. But I think it's important. And I think it's important because this is what things were like quite recently. Directors Martin Scorsese, David Lynch, and Woody Allen are among the dozens in the film industry who have agreed to sign a petition calling for the immediate release of Polanski. Film producer Harvey Weinstein, who has already signed the petition, the petition called Polanski's original plea deal a miscarriage of justice. Whatever you think about the so-called crime, Polanski has served his time, Weinstein wrote. And what I find so sad about the Angelica Houston interview is she actually talks about just the amount of abuse she suffered as a woman in show business and in her relationships, which seems like it was brutal and fucking relentless, manipulative, vicious, violent, 
mean-spirited, just the kind of shit that you have to go through to be Angelica Houston, who was with Jack Nicholson, and who went through the fucking, the ringer throughout her career, the daughter of a director who also had a terrible relationship with women, someone who saw a lot in her career. And she talks about that in this interview, and that's what made me so sad. And she said this. She said, when she was describing Me Too, she said, there's a thing called a male imperative, and it is maybe stronger than any Me Too movement, because it happens at birth. I have a great three-year-old nephew who made his way over to my umbrella rack the other day and pulled an Irish walking stick out and said, I am the leader of the universe. Girls don't do that. No, and, and that's what she means, and it really made me sad because there's a difference between what happens and what should happen. And what made me sad about that is here's a person who has seen so much heinous shit directing at her and views it as so normal that she can't see that part of the reason her three-year-old little nephew can say something like that and a girl wouldn't is because of a culture in which she feels like she needs to defend Roman Polanski and Woody fucking Allen and describe it as just how things used to be. You know, Emily and I went to a butterfly thing together. Do you want to be more specific? (laughs) I actually realized I don't have the words to be more specific. It was... A room of butterflies. It was a butterfly house. It was a butterfly house. At Fair Park. At Fair Fair Park. Park. And when we were there, everybody was going in the other direction because there was also a Lil Wayne concert. I said Lil Wayne. (laughs) (laughs) A Lil Wayne. Lil Wayne. I can't say without sounding translucent porcelain white. Uh, (laughs) It's Lil Wayne. Lil Wayne. (laughs) Concert. And everyone kept saying, you're going the wrong way. The Lil Wayne concert's this way. And we said, we're going to see the butterflies. (laughs) Anyway, as we were leaving, I was in a state of post-butterfly reverie (laughs) and decided to buy a (laughs) t-shirt because I love a gift shop. And when I was paying for the the t-shirt... Which, uh, by the way, is one of those t-shirts that turns colors when you go in the sun. So it's like... It's a t-shirt of a butterfly made up a bunch of smaller, different colored butterflies. Anyway. (laughs) The point she's making is that it was a really cool t-shirt for like a cool guy. Anyway, as I was buying the t-shirt, I remarked about how excited I was that it was pink because it's my color. And the woman that works behind the butterfly counter at the butterfly gift shop at the butterfly house was talking about how when little boys come and try to buy something pink, the other boys make fun of them, and even their parents will tell them not to. But the people, the wonderful women that work at the wonderful Butterfly House, who are fucking just candles in the dark, (laughs) say, actually, in the bug world and the butterfly world, the boys can also be very colorful. And then they get excited about wearing colorful clothes. All that's a way of saying, there's a reason little boys say they're going to be kings of the universe and little girls don't. And it makes me sad that someone as talented and amazing as Angelica Houston has internalized so much of that misogyny that she takes to Vulture to defend Woody Allen and Roman Polanski because it sucks. That's all. I want to close by saying this. Go-Go in-flight Wi-Fi is fucking terrible. Shame on that company. Shame on the executives of that company whose name was something like Oakley Thorncourt or something. Who Every single person that works at Go-Go Wi-Fi sounds like they tie women to train tracks as a hobby. There was another man with a deeply evil-sounding name who recently left. It doesn't say where he went, but I believe it was Theranos. Also. So glad I came, John. So glad. Thank you so much for being here, Congressman. I will say this. The Detective Pikachu movie looks very good. And I want you to know something. My friends, Benji Samet and Dan Hernandez wrote that movie. And that's why it's good. And I want this to work for them because I care about them and they're very talented and I want this movie to break fucking records 
I want it to do so fucking well. I want it to make Avengers Endgame look like the piano. I w- <laughs> Wait, I don't even know if that movie did well. Did the piano? I think it did well. I think piano did well. I want Detective Pikachu to make Avengers Endgame look like John Carter of fucking Mars. Because it is 2019, and we have very little to say in our world. You guys have fun tonight? Let's end on a high note. I love Texas. I think Texas is great. You know, one thing that I found interesting is Ted Cruz, uh, who we love, ran on this campaign of tougher than Texas. And, and yes, it is true, he, in some sense, won re-election. However, one thing I found interesting about the exit polls is it showed that better work did better among native Texans than Ted Cruz did. We're importing too many of them. So I just want to close by making a suggestion. You're drawing a lot of people based on the image of Texas. And they're coming and making you more conservative sometimes. So I would just suggest maybe it's time Texas build a wall. And I think Arizona should pay for it. I want to thank our incredible panel. I want to thank Julian Castro for being here, Christian Hernandez, Colin Allred, Emily Heller, the Majestic Theater, as always, Nancy Pelosi. Thank you, Dallas. Have a great night. where you make life's most beautiful memories. But your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home.